0: The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org.
1: Good morning. Will you have a seat? Take your Bibles in front of you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is on page 954 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of these from Park Church. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you.
2: Thank you, Luann. Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Looking forward to getting into this uh, passage with you all. Um, We are in our last of a five-week series talking about what it means to live out the mission of God as a people. Uh, If you're new to Park, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, We gather every Sunday to worship Jesus, uh, to learn from his word, to learn about what it means to follow Jesus as his people, to learn about his love for us, what he's done, to display the love of God for us, what it means to be his people and how to follow his way in life. And so if you're looking for more information or just curious how to get more involved in our community or participate in the mission that God's given us, we have a short meeting right after the service in this back room over in the corner of the, of the gallery. It says new here. We take about 10 minutes to get to know you a bit and help you find some more ways to get involved. So if that would serve you in any way, we'd love to get to know you after the service. Um, as I mentioned, we are in our final week uh, of this series. Uh, we're, we're closing out the sort of preaching series, but we'll be spending time throughout the rest of the spring really thinking about as a church family, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the way he related to the world around him? And so as a church, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. I believe that we're, as we're making disciples, what we're fundamentally doing is helping people understand what God has done for the world in Christ. What it means to be reconciled to God, to experience his love by grace, not by your effort, your achievement, your works, anything about the way you live or how you do it, that God's love for you in Christ is displayed. What does it mean to turn from the way we're living and running away to try to build our life apart from him, to actually turn to him in faith to receive his love in his Holy Spirit? And then as his people, what does it mean to follow his way of life? to actually walk in communion with God, but also model our lives after the life of Jesus, to grow as those who are becoming like him. Specifically in this series, we're talking about as he relates to the world. And so we've talked about the global mission of God, what he's doing around the world. We've talked about what it means to love and serve our neighbors, to show hospitality and love to those around us, especially the most vulnerable, the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, We've talked about what it means to be a kind of people that because of the Holy Spirit in us, that are seeking to bring restoration to areas of injustice in the world. We've talked about what it means to be a people who go into our workspaces or wherever God calls us to live out our days, to do the work he's called us to, whether paid or unpaid, in ways that serve and love humanity and seek the well-being of those around us. Specifically today, we're talking about what I think a lot of people think about when they think about mission, which is sharing the good news. That we are, as a people, called to participate in what God's doing in the world, in part, by sharing the good news about Jesus to others. There's a a ton of complications around that in our culture. It can be overwhelming. You might have your own fears about what that's meant in your life and things you've done. And so we need to talk about all all of those things. And we desperately need the Holy Spirit to work among us. So we're going to take a moment and pray. But I do want to share with you, as I've been praying about that and preparing for this for the past few weeks... I have felt personally a significant um, conviction and a call in my own life towards repentance. Areas where I have really neglected to be faithful to things that God has called me to because in part of sometimes it feels uncomfortable, or I don't know how to do it, or I'm just afraid, or I don't believe that God's really going to do much through it, or I don't have a love or a care for my neighbors or those around me. Just felt a lot in my own heart, just things I need to repent of. And I wonder, just knowing our church family and things that I think we do really well, and things that I think we don't do particularly well, if God might lead many of us into that space, of actually just turning to him saying, "Hey, I've, there are things in my life I've been neglecting, a passion for you and for your kingdom, a love for my neighbors. God would you work in us, not to condemn us, not to crush us, but in your mercy and grace to lead us to turn for you, to turn to you and follow your way of life. And so let's pray that the Holy Spirit would work among us this morning. Um, Jesus, we want to say thank you uh, for your faithful love. Thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the way you've put the love of God on display in your pursuit of us, the way you've pursued us with faithfulness, with mercy, with goodness, the way you've shown us grace. I pray that this morning your mercy, your love, your grace would compel us would awaken in us, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be awakened to who you've called us to be in this world. In the ways that we live, in the ways that we love, but also in the ways that we share the good news of your kingdom to others around us. So pour out your spirit on us this morning. Where we need to repent, would you give us hearts of repentance? Where we need to be encouraged and be reminded of your grace and your love, would you remind us? Where we need to be given wisdom and guidance, would you work and pray that the, the result of this... This time this morning would be your spirit moving among us to grow us as a people that bear witness to your kingdom everywhere you call us to go. So would you part your spirit on us now, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I I remember vividly when I became a Christian in junior high, uh, kind of going to my youth group, Uh, the gospel was new to me, I was learning more about it, I was growing as a follower of Jesus, and I was uh, welcomed and kind of invited to participate in this thing called evangelism which the word itself was like, whoa, that's a big word uh, for my junior high brain. I don't know what that means, but Christians are supposed to do it, and so let's go. And I learned a method of evangelism called, ready? Evangelism explosion. And you have to say it like that. You have to say it like explosion. Uh, so you just need it like to feel like, I don't know if it's good, bad, weird, awkward, just just, you need to feel funny, and because uh, it does feel funny, and I remember learning this, this method, and, and I'm not going to speak negatively about the method, because that is something that God has used in really meaningful ways uh, for a lot of people, but I want to talk to you about my emotional experience learning this. Uh, what I did is I go with a group of teenagers, uh, and I lived in suburban Kansas City, uh, where everybody is kind. In in Kansas City, we're just kind, kind people. And the difference between Kansas City and the South is I think we really mean it in Kansas City. And so... <laughs> I think we really mean it, and so this sort of like you'd go door to door, and you'd knock on somebody's door, and you'd knock them on the door, and they'd be like, "Hi, good to see you," and they'd be like, warm and welcoming, and they would like, "You want to come in and have cookies?" and uh, and we'd be like, "Well, you know, I have a. Do you mind if I ask you a, a couple of questions?" And people in their Kansas City kindness would be like, "Of course, go ahead, ask away, shoot," you know, and uh, and you'd begin with something like this: "Do you know?" for 100% certainty that if you were to die today you would go to heaven to be with God or would you say that's something you're still working on. And Kansas City kindness has its limits. <laughs> and uh, and that was the limit. That was the limit right there. Uh, often it was like okay, you know, never mind, no thanks. But let's say people engage. What you're asking in that question is what's their sort of like confidence that that when they die they're going to go to heaven. And all of this presumes a certain kind of like level of of kind of agreement that we're starting with, which is already kind of like some things we need to think through. And we'd ask this question and, and they'd say, well, you know, nobody can be 100% certain. Uh, you know, I, I kind of hope, I think I've done a pretty good job, whatever it might be. And so then you ask question number two. Question number two is something like this. Well, let's say you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now in this question, what we're asking at, at is the, the basis of their confidence. Right? We're trying to get at the basis of their confidence. Do they believe that God is going to welcome them based on how good they've done or how poorly they've done or whether their goodness outweighs their badness or whether their goodness is at least better than other people's goodness? Enough better that God will hopefully be like, that was pretty, you did pretty good. Good enough, welcome in. And in that space, what we're finding out is like, one, do they, do they, kind of long to go to heaven when they die? Two, are they basing it off their works? And what you have this ability to do in that space is actually take them through, hey, the reality is that we've all turned from God in different ways. We've we've all sinned, we all fall short, and because of that, we don't deserve that. But the good news of the gospel is that you can actually be forgiven of your sins through the work of Christ on the cross, and that by grace, through faith in Christ, you can be welcomed, declared righteous, and you can be welcomed into eternal life with God on the basis of nothing except for the work of Christ and your trust in him. That is true and beautiful news. It's true and beautiful news. My emotional experience in going door to door, sharing with strangers that news, was this anticipation of rejection, which was 100% of the time I did that, I was rejected. And uh, in a deep dread and a hope, as I went up, I was praying, Lord Jesus, Please let no one be home. Because uh, <laughs> I'm doing this because I'm supposed to, but this is horrendously uncomfortable uh, for me. And, uh, and so that was sort of the emotional experience for me, kind of as I was learning about evangelism explosion. And, um, and then there's this alternate experience a couple of years later. I was in high school. Our youth group was... Um, growing, and we had a bunch of kids in the youth group, but the youth group was predominantly homeschooled kids and Christian kids. Uh, myself and my wife were two of the only public schooled kids in the youth group. A large, a large youth group. Quick caveat. Public school, Christian school, homeschool, all can be really good all have their real values, all have their real drawbacks. Every family has to slice that differently. Every family has to navigate that differently. What are our values? What do we feel most equipped to shore our kids up against? What are the challenges? That's, that's just true. Anybody that's saying this is the way it ought to be, that's, that's unhealthy and unhelpful. Everybody's different. Good? We good? Moving back into the story. My youth group was predominantly homeschooled and Christian schooled with my wife and I. We weren't married as teenagers, uh, contrary to public belief. And, uh, and uh, we were public school kids. And so my, uh, my youth group was trying to brainstorm about how to become more evangelistic. And they're like, well, we don't have a lot of non-Christian friends. But Jamie and Gary have non-Christian friends. <laughs> So how about this? We could come to your school's basketball and football games, and evangelize after the game. And I was like, let's let's like stick around the brainstorming session a little longer. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's think of some more more ideas here because that felt like the the kind of social deathbed of my life. Like the idea of my youth group with a bunch of friends who I love deeply and dearly, but all of that social awkwardness making its way into my, my high school where I had like cut out this little niche for myself where I felt moderately faithful, but like not a total loser. And uh, I was like, this is going to kill me. This is just going to kill me. And so I think uh, Jamie and I like successfully convinced everybody that this was not going to be the way forward. Uh, but I, it reminds me of this kind of tension that I feel like we feel. Which is either, when we think about sharing the good news of others, either this is going to be like socially awkward experience of rejection, or we totally disengage and compartmentalize our lives. Either I'm going to be faithful to do what I'm supposed to do, and it's going to be really uncomfortable, and I'm going to get rejected. or. I'll take my Christian life and put it in my small group and my Sunday mornings, and I'll take my work life, my social life, my school life, my kind of other life, and just keep everything separated because it gets deeply uncomfortable when these things start mixing in ways that feel really awkward. And I wonder if many of us feel that same kind of tension. When you think about sharing the good news, we're like, oh, we're going to talk about sharing the good news. Uh, I imagine for many people, it's like, yikes, this is an uncomfortable topic for me to think about. I've done this before, or I've been told to do it before, and it feels really awkward, really ineffective, really overwhelming. Can't imagine it working. And in the past, I just did it because I was supposed to. Or maybe for the majority of us now, it's like, let's just not, let's just be loving and kind people and trust that God will magically work apart from the words of the gospel. I wonder. I wonder how, how many of us feel that tension. And so the question we're trying to engage today is is there, is there a path forward? To be faithful to be who God's called us to be, to be ministers of the gospel, ambassadors for Christ in a city like Denver, Colorado. In this age, post-Christian, where Christianity is not just like kind of one of the options, it's really seen in, in a lot of people's minds in our city as a really offensive way of life. How do we be loving, Kind, gentle, gracious, humble, and still bold with the claims of Christ in a city like Denver. That's what we need to talk about. We're going to walk through it today with four questions. Uh, Just the who, who is actually called to be participating in this, biblically speaking? Who's called to be participating in the sharing of the good news? The, The why, why it's important for us to kind of overcome these obstacles as a people. What is this good news that we're sharing? And then last, how can we do that? How can we share the good news of the gospel to be faithful in ways that are loving? I'm gonna start with this question of who, and I want you to think for a minute of who shared the good news about Jesus with you. You're all here in a church today. Some of you are maybe brand new and God's just been doing stuff in your heart and you felt like you're supposed to show up in church today. You're like, man, this is getting intense fast. Man, I I really mean this. We're really glad you're here. Uh, we're, we're as a community learning what does it mean to worship Jesus and to follow his way of life, but also as a community, a space where a lot of us wrestle with our own questions, doubts. We've all been on the journey in different ways. We've wrestled. We've come from different ways of thinking and viewing life, different kind of belief systems. Many of us still wrestle with those in different ways. And this is a place where you can ask those questions, engage in those claims. But we're also a community that's saying as we follow Jesus, we going to be faithful to who he's called us to be as ambassadors of the gospel. So listen, listen to this. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. I want you to keep in your mind just the, the amount of people that have been faithful to this calling that have come before us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, like if you've put your trust in him and you're, you're united to him by faith, you're part of the new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this, this whole new creation that Jesus has opened up through his death and resurrection, all of it's from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what that means. Here's what I'm saying. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And, notice these words, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, through faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage that says essentially this, God loves the world. Though we rejected his reign, and in this passage it calls it trespassed against him, though we've turned from his reign and we've run away from his loving presence, and we've tried to kind of find a life of acceptance and to find a life of wisdom and wholeness and flourishing and goodness and satisfaction apart from God's reign, apart from his wisdom, apart from his way and away from his love, we've tried it. The Bible calls that sin trespass. Though we've done that, God sent Jesus into the world to reconcile people to himself through his death for our sins and his resurrection on the third day. And in that work, God sending Jesus into the world to do that work, which happened 2,000 years ago, the news of that work through which people are reconciled to God, he entrusted to us, to us as his people. To be the ministers of reconciliation, to be the, the ones through whom the news of his reconciling love would make its way to people, whether that's our children, our neighbors, our coworkers, people in other cultures, other nations, other experiences. We are the means by which God is reconciling people to himself. It's who we're called to be. Who's called to share the good news? All of us. All of us. God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, and we are the messengers that he's using. So God is on a mission to reconcile the world to himself, and we are the means by which he's chosen to do this. He's entrusted to his people, the message of reconciliation. This is clear all across the Bible. It's crystal clear. You can read about it in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. You can read about it in Romans 10. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. You can read about it in Luke. You can read about it all over as God looks at the world, has compassion on the world, and doesn't just snap his fingers to save it. He sends his people into the world into the world, to be the means by which people hear the good news of his kingdom, through which they can be reconciled, forgiven, washed, redeemed, transformed, to participate in what God's doing in the world around us. It's clear in the Bible, but it's hard in reality. It's hard in reality. It's hard in in our lived experience. Because my guess is many of us in this room, like, know, and with some sort of, like, instinct that this is something we're, like, as followers of Jesus called to, but it's hard. Why? A lot of reasons. There are spiritual powers of darkness that wage war against God's mission, that bring lies into our own lives and hearts, that bring barriers and complexities to it. Like it's not just like a neutral playing field. We're like in this world where there's darkness that plagues our own life and our own experience and the life of others around us. There are personal fears we wrestle with, like do, I don't wanna be misunderstood, I don't wanna be rejected by my friends, I don't wanna lose the relationship. I don't want to be seen as manipulative or coercive or like I know it all or have my kind of corner on truth. I I don't want to seem judgmental. I don't want to kind of like look like the sort of like Christians that many people in our city moved away from Kansas to get away from. You know, like the people that knocked on their doors. They're like, I want to get away from those teenagers that knock on my doors. I'm going to move to Denver, Colorado. It'd come to a place like this where it just feels like, man. To believe in Christ is like an overwhelming thing for people to think about. Sometimes we struggle to believe that God would actually use us. Sometimes we struggle to care about the people around us. We struggle with all of these things. We don't want to seem like religious hypocrites. We don't want to seem holier than thou. And especially in a city like Denver where there's so much church hurt, there's so many people that have, a, have consciously rejected Christianity, not just as kind of something they don't believe, but as something they believe to be a problem with the history of religious life in America, with cause in many instances, with cause, real trauma, real spiritual abuse, real scandals, real cover-ups, real manipulation, real kind of abuse of power. So it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And even more in a city like Denver where people have moved and are really trying to carve out for themselves their own version of the good life with moderate success. With moderate success. In Denver, we can tend to think like, man, my neighbors are kind. They're loving. Yeah, they don't trust Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. But they're like, they're pretty good. And like, I don't want to kind of be, you know, be like too forward about this. And so we kind of like... Look at the Denver life and think like it's a kind of decent life. Like people can move here. You can move here. You can wake up in the morning tomorrow and you could go in the morning. You go to Bacon Social and get, you know, like some bacon flights and you can get some whiskey. You could go get whiskey and donuts downtown and you could do that in the morning. Then you could go to your office, kind of go to your office, or maybe work from home. Lunchtime, you can go out and hit up CrossFit, have CrossFit by kind of like mid-afternoon, you could take a happy hour break, you can go to Tennyson Street, you can go to 32nd Street, you can go to Platt Park, Pearl Street, you can go to Rhino, lots of cool lunch places around the city, or happy hour places. Later this evening, in the evening, you can do some like recreational activities with some friends, you can get a nightcap at a place like Death & Co. and spend $13 on two ounces of liquor, and uh, it's like a thing and, uh, and I've heard, I've heard, it's good. Um, but as people say, 13 bucks, I don't know, it's awkward. Um, and so you can do these things and like people do this and then they take off work on Friday and on Friday you hit the slopes, you go skiing, you go fishing, you go camping, you do your thing. And it's like a decent life and here we are like, hey, there's a God-sized hole in your heart. And people are like, I don't think there's one of those in my heart. Like, um, I feel good about life. Like, I'm doing these things, I'm, I'm living these kind of ways, and it's kind of fun and enjoyable, and people move to Denver to have that kind of life. But look harder. Look harder. We, we tend to think, like, everybody's happy. Look harder. One, there are a lot of people in the city that that's not their experience. They work multiple jobs just to keep up with rent. That keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. Displacing them out of their homes moving further away to cheaper neighborhoods where the bus ride to work to their jobs takes longer be away from their family more they, they experience a real sense of brokenness in their neighborhood They feel anxiety in their own life Just keeping up with everybody else and staying up with all the activities that everybody else seems to be doing Causes anxiety low-key depression sometimes clinical depression That's rampant You have this experience of isolation and loneliness You have this sense for people, this growing sense of like um, distance between the facade that they're trying to say, I'm living a happy life, and this gap between the things that they're actually feeling, the lack of fulfillment. And God looks at Denver and doesn't think like, they're really doing a great job building the kingdom without the king, building the garden without the God. God looks at Denver and he sees all of that pain, all of that brokenness, often hid deep within the human heart. And he has compassion. He has compassion. He has compassion. And in his compassion for Denver, he entrusts to you and I the message of reconciliation in his compassion for all the brokenness, all the cracks and crevices and corners of Denver where there's deep pain, and in every household and in every place where somebody's like, I'm kind of crushing it, but I'm beginning to feel this deep sense of anxiety and the weight and the burden to keep it up and to keep going and to keep living this, this kind of pace and these activities and these things, pretending it's making me happy when it kind of is and it's beginning to feel empty. God has a compassion. He sends us out as ambassadors of the good news. So it is vital that we become a people that overcome these obstacles. Why? Why are we called to share the good news? Why? Most fundamentally, it's love. It's love. This is what the Apostle Paul says in this passage. He, he basically says in 2 Corinthians, look, y'all think I'm crazy. You think I'm crazy, I'm, I'm getting Beaten. I'm getting rejected by my own people. I'm getting rejected by the Romans. I'm getting rejected by the Greeks. I'm getting rejected by people that even led to Christ, churches that are having a frustration. I've been whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned. Like, why would I do this? Doesn't it, doesn't it seem foolish that I keep telling people the good news about Jesus? Here's why. This is 2 Corinthians five fourteen. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And the life, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Seeing it's God's love for me and God's love for the world that compels me to do things where I'm getting rejected, outcast, hardship, and difficulty because of the way he has loved me. Because the way he has pursued me, because the grace he has shown me, because of the cost that he bore in his death for my sins to bring me back to the Father, and now he calls me out to, to bring this good news, this good news about reconciliation to the world around me. It is love. There's a, um, a guy named Penn Gillette, if you've ever heard of Penn and Teller, the sort of magician duo. Now, Penn Gillette is also, you know, a pronounced atheist, and he famously said this said, so I've always said that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That just means like try to help other people become Christians. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that's not really worth telling them this, uh, telling them this because it would make you make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who just say, leave me along and keep your religion to yourself, I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you and this is more important than that. That's from an atheist saying, hey, if that's your worldview, that Life, fulfillment, joy, everlasting life even is available for those who turn to Jesus in faith. And for those who don't, they're walking down a road that will lead to misery, unmitigated misery, even eternal death and separation from God. If you believe that, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them the news through which they can actually find life? It's a powerful indictment. It's really convicting to me. Every time I read it, it hurts my heart because I feel my own lack of love, my own selfishness so clear in my heart. So love compels us. Second, vision compels us. This isn't about kind of like getting people to heaven when they die. This is God's vision for the whole world. That the world knows it's broken. You see wars. You see division. You see fighting. You see family drama. You see abuse. You see addiction. You see mental health issues. You see disease. You see this kind of inevitable prospect of death. You see all of the pain that we we face in the world. God cares about all of that and is working to bring redemption to the whole entire world. And the way that he's bringing redemption to the world is by reconciling people to himself as we trust in the work of Jesus on the cross and in reconciling people to himself, forgiving us of our sins, washing us, cleansing us, bringing us into his family, giving us his Holy Spirit and little by little transforming us to be people who seek redemption in all the cracks and crevices of the world while we wait for him to come again and make all things new. So this piece of sharing the good news is about caring for every area of brokenness on the planet where there's trauma, where there's abusive homes, where there's addiction, where there's deep anxiety and pressure, where there's religious self-righteousness that's been deeply destructive, where there's injustice that is rampant, where there's chaos and war A means by which God is addressing those things is by reconciling people to himself, forgiving our sins, making us aware of his love, and transforming us to the power of his spirit. Sharing the good news about having a vision for the world, about participating in what God's doing, which men and women have done before us in beautiful ways. A third motive, beyond love, beyond vision, and I get to this one last because it's the least kind of emotionally compelling, but it's still true. It's just Obedience. Uh, We exist to make disciples of Jesus. And the commission of Jesus is, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Fundamental to our mission is teaching one another, growing together, we're learning to obey. Not this kind of like abstract command that has no relevance, but this call to be extensions of God's love to the world, extensions of God's reconciling love to the world. So, we're called to step into this in faithfulness to what God's called us to do. So, a question we have to ask is what, what is then sharing the good news? What is this good news that we're sharing? So, let's say we're kind of here. All right, I hear He's called me to do this. Uh, I see how it could be an extension of love to the world. What's the good news that we're sharing? There's a, a famous quote by um, a person named St. Francis of Assisi that's not actually from St. Francis of Assisi, but people attribute it to him all the time. It's preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Sounds like kind of cool. You could put it on a poster or something, you know? Um, Super appealing and interesting to people in our cultural context. The The only problem is the gospel is news. The gospel is fundamentally words. We should live lives that demonstrate the power of the gospel as signposts to the kingdom, by the way we love, by the way we seek justice, by the way we show kindness and grace. But demonstrating the effects of the gospel doesn't tell people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, to bring forgiveness, to bring cleansing, healing, and reconciliation with God. It doesn't tell them that good news. And so we're called to be people who share the good news. And so what is that? What is that? Even the word evangeliz- evan- uh, evangelism comes from this Greek word, euangelizomai, to evangelize, which is essentially to, to share good news, and it's the good news of God's kingdom. So what, what is that? For, for many of us in our cultural backgrounds, if you grew up in the church or if you grew up around religion in any way, if you have this basic sense that there's a God, there's like a moral standard for life, I probably fall short of that moral standard in some ways. Maybe there's an eternal life and it feels like somehow participating in the eternal life has something to do with measuring up to a moral standard. If you kind of have these basic kind of like pieces, what Tim Keller calls like this these, these kind of things, this furniture, these dots, like then, then sharing the good news can, can be, hey, to experience eternal life with God, you have to trust in Jesus who laid down his life to pay the penalty for those sins that you feel some degree of awareness of. And by trusting in him, you get forgiveness, you get to be reconciled to God and experience eternal life. That's true. But what about when you live in a place where people don't necessarily believe in God, where they don't trust the Bible, where the idea of sin isn't just something they don't believe in, but it actually feels to them like an oppressive ideology to tell other people that you have a standard by which other people need to live isn't just something they don't believe, but they see it as a fundamental aspect of what's wrong with the world. Now, now how do you share the gospel without it being kind of out and out rejected from the get-go? You have to begin to understand a a broader thrust of the gospel message in God's word, a broader thrust. It's a lot of what we've done as a church family for a long time here in Denver is how do we actually bring the gospel to bear for people that don't kind of like immediately see themselves as a sinner that needs forgiveness from God so they can have eternal life when they die. The gospel is way bigger than that. It's not, it's not less than that. It's way bigger than that. And so that's why we'll say things like this. We'll talk about uh, being a part of a creation. I'll often think about, even in conversations with people, finding ways to, to find where they feel beauty and brokenness in the world. Because almost everybody agrees that the world is, is beautiful in ways and broken in ways. They experience the brokenness differently. They attribute the brokenness maybe to different causes, maybe different root causes, different issues. The solutions people find to kind of try to deal with the brokenness are, you know, all over the board. But to kind of start there, of the, the beauty and the brokenness in the world, and to kind of understand the gospel narrative of there's a, the reason why there's beauty in the world is because there's a creator. A creator who wanted the world to experience and reflect and celebrate and enjoy beauty in the world and helping people see like the mountains as a gift from God the the food as a gift from God friendship as a gift from God culture as a gift from God music as a gift from God aesthetic beauty in the arts as a gift from God justice and institutions what a gift from God these are all things that reflect God's goodness but when you start thinking about the brokenness in the world where did that come from where did that come from and the Bible's story is that brokenness came from us pushing away from the God who made the world, pushing away from his design, his authority, and his love, and trying to do it in our own way. So we'll say things like... It, we're trying to build the Garden of Eden without the God of the garden. We're trying to build a kingdom without the king. We're trying to kind of like forge our own life in our own way apart from God. And as much as humanity has tried to do this from civilization after civilization, generation after generation, cultural approach after cultural approach, the world has continued to feel broken. Broken. And the good news of the gospel comes into that space to actually bring this 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 incisive indictment that the problem with the world is us. It's us. We brought brokenness into the world and as, as offensive as that might be, I think people tend to be aware that there, there is something broken within me as I struggle to be who I feel like I'm supposed to be. And the good news of the gospel is God didn't just kick us out, that he loved us in that space to reconcile us, to forgive us. He laid down his life to atone for our sins, to wash us, and to show us this incredible love to reconcile us to a community where we can be accepted apart from our performance. We can be given an identity as sons and daughters apart from our achievement or attempt to forge our own identity in the world. We can be, kind of experience this joy in God's presence even in the midst of suffering and sickness and pain and even death itself. We can experience a life with God and with his people that is compelling where all the longings of the human experience are found wrapped up in being a part of Christ and his kingdom. And when people begin to feel and kind of experience that in this space, it can be transformative. But how do you get there? How do you get there with people that don't want to give it a single thought? How do you get there with people that feel out of the gate a rejection of the biblical claims, that people feel the abuses of the church and the pain in reality? How do you get there? How can we share the good news in a loving way? Like How, how can we do this? How can we do this in ways that are thoughtful, in ways that are loving? In my experience, kind of as a teenager, learning these ways of sharing the gospel that were like, God uses and has used in profound ways throughout history and still uses sometimes today. In my experience, again, this kind of like, experience of rejection after rejection after rejection when I'm going like cold turkey, you know, cold call evangelism. Uh, I found at the past 15 years in Colorado God do beautiful, beautiful things when we approach this a little bit differently. And I think there's an incredible biblical precedent to this. I want to read this passage again from 1 Peter 3.15. I'll read it this morning. It'll be on the screen uh, this time from the the NIV. Peter says this, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Um, Peter is in an interesting space. He's writing to people who are in exile. So there's a way of thinking about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in Jerusalem when it's a bunch of Jewish people that believe in a Messiah, believe in a kingdom, and they just need to be corrected about what the Messiah is gonna be like and what the kingdom's like. But when you're you're talking to to Gentiles and Jews that are now in Galatia, in in modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece, modern-day Rome, when you're talking to people in that space, he's, he's talking to them as people that are living in exile, and here's what he says. He talks about proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, but he also talks about living a life that's going to bring people to a place where they're asking questions. Going to be bringing people to say, "Help me understand the hope that you have." So when a person's following Jesus in Rome, and in Rome their families, their Jewish families rejected them. Their Gentile employer maybe has rejected them. The, the Roman Empire is crucifying and burning at the stake their friends, and they're saying, "I have love." I have forgiveness. I have hope. They see you worshiping. When their presumption about you When their presumption about you is that these people are atheists, they don't believe in our gods, the gods of the pantheon, so they must be atheists, or I even heard that they ate their god, something about his body and his blood, they're cannibals, which is a real accusation. They've got all these assumptions, and they kind of reject it out of the gate, and then they get to know you, and they experience your love, your kindness. You show up at work, even though you've been rejected and persecuted. You show up with faithfulness again and again and again. Even when people hate you, you show love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness to them. And then they come, and they meet a couple of your other friends, and they're showing love and kindness to you, and you're introducing them with warmth, even though you've ridiculed them and persecuted them. And like, man, how, can you explain to me how you could possibly have hope in the midst of this world, in that experience? And Peter says, always be prepared to give them a reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give them a reason to to share the good news of Jesus. And so the way I think about it often is, evangelism happens best when we're answering the questions that are raised by the distinctive lifestyle of the Christian community. That as you love people, as you talk honestly and openly about Jesus, as you engage with people around you, as you care for them, as you do justice, as you love mercy, as you walk with humility, as you're honest about your faith and your own journey with Jesus, it is compelling to people people in whom the Holy Spirit is working and drawing, it's a compelling reality. And so what I want to do this morning is actually walk you through something that's just super practical. We're trying to teach one another to follow the way of Jesus. And so I want to grab this card if you have it here, and I'll walk through a couple of things on this card. You should have got it on your way in. If not, I'll talk through it. And then I want to share with you just some ways that I think we can grow in this as a family that are far more thoughtful, bold, effective, biblical and faithful in this age that we live in. Sharing the good news. How do we do this in ways that are faithful? Everything on here is just stuff we should be doing. It's not a project. It's not a list. It's not a XYZ like one, two, three, presto, people become Christians. It's just faithfulness to basic Christian things like this. Pray. Pray. Pray that God would work in your neighbors, in your friends, in your coworkers. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be working to draw people to himself. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in powerful ways. So we say pray for your friends, your family, your neighbors, your classmates, your co-workers, that they would know Jesus better than they do today. Maybe it's people that are deconstructing their faith and they've walked out of some really significant religious pain. Maybe it's people that have grown up in a really secularized home and they had assumptions about Christians. Maybe it's people that are your co-workers, your classmates, and they've become your good friends, or they've actually been really negative towards you. Pray. There's power in prayer. We want to pray. There's, look, there's a little space on the right. It says people I'm praying for. There's an old thing that Christians used to do. It's called prayer lists. Um, It's a good idea, uh, worth doing. And it's where you like write down things you want to pray for regularly. Really, really profound. It's old technology. Um, A list and places to write things down. But just say, hey, there are people I want to pray for. Pray that God will work among them and in them, for them. Second, love people merely as a project to share the gospel with them. Don't, don't do that. Just love people, not as a project. Love people because we're called to love people. Love people. Get to know the people in your relational spheres. Be a genuine friend. Share your life. Be curious. Show hospitality. Love them well. Every person I've had the opportunity of participating in what God was doing to bring them to himself. It's people that I lived a lot of life with. Climbing, camping, watching Broncos games, having meals, hanging out, backyard parties, barbecues, coffees, all of that over long periods of time we have seen God do beautiful things. Taking people that are far, far away from faith and bringing them into his family. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Love people. Get to know them. Be a friend. Third, talk, talk about Jesus. Be open and vulnerable about your own relationship with Jesus and share how he's working in your life through both your struggles and your joys. I found in my own life when I tried to be so kind and loving but keep my Christianity apart, like later it felt like a really like significant time. Like I need to share Jesus and I kind of like come out of the closet as a Christian. I'm like, by the way, I'm a Christian and I hope you become one too. You know, and it's like really... Uh, not not cool. Uh, in fact, I remember vividly this time where this happened to me in a different uh, framework where my family was coming out of a restaurant one day and another family was coming in and we had never seen them before. And they just like struck up a conversation with us. And we're like, oh, cool. You know, like people are being kind to us. And they're like, hey, you know, we'd love to get to know your family. It's like a short conversation in a parking lot. This is what this was. And they're like, we should get together. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Our kids can play in the play place and we can chat about life and get to know each other. I'm like, this is wild. I was a church planner in Fort Collins when this happened. And I was like, I've like done this to people, uh, but I've never had it done to me. And so we like go there and we're doing, we're at Chick-fil-A and the kids are in the play place thing at Chick-fil-A and we're talking and eventually the conversation uh, makes us way. The, the, the man starts talking about his mentor and how his mentor is going to be coming to town and, you know, he's got this job, but he also has been kind of building this way of making passive income. And I'm like, oh no, I just got duped. I'm, this is a multi-level marketing thing. Uh, and he's like, have you ever, you know, thought about, you know, passive income? And I was like, I hate money. Um... Uh, I just didn't want to deal with it. He's like, but what do you mean? I mean, wouldn't you like to make a little extra money? No, I'm like, no, seriously, I hate money. He's like, but I mean, he's like, didn't know what to do with that because he's never talked to somebody that's just like, I was just like, this is, I just felt like duped. And uh, that was the last time we hung out. Um, I'm saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You know what you could do instead? Be yourself. When you pray for them, tell them you're praying for them because you are. When you had a fun weekend hanging out with people from your church, tell them you had a fun weekend hanging out with people from your church. When you're struggling with doubt intention and, and pain, tell them about that too. When you're wondering about things, when you're wondering where is God in the midst of the pain I'm experiencing, tell them about that too. Be yourself with all the joys and the struggles in your own faith. People in Denver, that's the advantage of being in a pluralistic society. People are like, that's good for you, good for you. If you had a great weekend at church and they asked how your weekend was, tell them you had a great weekend at church. If they said, what was it about? It was like, it was about sharing the good news of Jesus with people like you. Uh, I was like, it was uncomfortable. They're like, are you ever gonna do that? You're like, maybe. And then you do and they become Christians. Oh my gosh, beautiful. What might God do? What, what might God do? Just be honest, be real. Be real about that. And this one's significant. Invite, introduce people to your Christian friends by inviting them to hang out, a party, shared hobby, service project, your gospel community, Alpha, we'll talk about even a Sunday gathering. When people see, I have a neighbor who told, has told my family, like, you guys have really good energy. You guys have really good energy. Um, and it's important for me, one, that he knows I'm a, I'm a Christian, and he does, but also that he see the energy, which I would say is the Holy Spirit in us, in our, our brokenness and our flaws in other people. And that he could say, okay, it's not just like this family that I kind of like enjoy being around, but like all the people that they're like following Jesus with have this thing. And what God does through that is profound. One of my favorite all-time books is this book, A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Auken. Uh, I will often quote C.S. Lewis uh, from stage. Sometimes I choose to quote other people. Sheldon Van Auken. Half of the book are quotes from C.S. Lewis, um, so <laughs> just <laughs> sneak him, sneak him in here often. Um, but he was a devout non-Christian atheist. What he worshipped most is the love relationship he had with Davy, his love interest, eventually his wife. And they went to Oxford together to kind of build this life together. And all of a sudden, they started getting, like, they met some friends that they liked, and they turned out to be Christians. Those Christian friends invited them and introduced them to other friends. And before long, like, five of their best friends were Christians. And they're like, this is weird. And so here's what Sheldon Van Auken says. He says, these were our first friends, close friends. More to the point, perhaps, all five were keen, deeply committed Christians. But we liked them so much that we forgave them for it. We began hardly knowing what we were doing to revise our opinions—not of Christianity, but of Christians. Our fundamental assumption, which had begun, uh, which we had been pleased to regard as an intelligent insight, had been that all Christians were necessarily stuffy, high-bound, or stupid people to keep one's distance from. We had kept our distance so successfully, indeed, that we didn't know anything about Christians. Now that assumption soundlessly collapsed. The sheer quality of the Christians we met at Oxford shattered our stereotype. And thenceforward, a reference in a book or conversation to someone's being a Christian called up an entirely new image. Moreover, the astonishing fact sank home. Our own contemporaries could be at once highly intelligent, civilized, witty, fun to be with, and Christian. Their assumptions began to break down as they interacted with the Christian community and what God was doing in that space through other things, visions they were having, questions they had been asking, things that happened in their childhood began to break down assumptions and brought them to a place where I'm saying, hey, I'm gonna give this Christianity thing another look. I dismissed it out of the gate, but I'm more interested now. I wonder if there's something to it. There might be something to it. In fact, they start interacting with C.S. Lewis because they were in the literature program and Lewis has this wild salutation in the letter, where he's kind of talking about the different things that he's experiencing, Sheldon is. And Lewis, to sign off a letter, says, I think you're already in the meshes of the net. The Holy Spirit is after you. I doubt if you'll get away. Yours, C.S. Lewis. You're like, boom! You know, like when Lewis is like, the Holy Spirit's after you, then he is. Uh, it's happening. And sure enough, God brought them to faith in a profound and beautiful way. But that's what happens when we engage in these things. And this last piece here is prepare to listen and to learn about the questions your friends have about Jesus and be prepared to step into opportunities to share more about the hope that Jesus gives to er every area of life. When, when, When life goes haywire... When they lose control or lose a job, when there's pain and grief, the way Keller talks about is when their own worldview is like clothes that don't fit anymore. It's like their experience of life isn't fitting in the sort of Denver pluralistic chase after the good life through recreation, hobby, activity. When that life is like, is not fitting and it begins to rip, then the Christians that they know are people they often turn to. Help me understand. I remember a lot of my neighbors would say, like when they find out I was a pastor, it'd be like the end of the relationship. Be like I'm like, what do you do? Or, yeah, what do you do? Or, well, I'm a pastor, and be like, okay, turn away. And I've shared this before, but when the pandemic hit, I got several people that reached out to me. Like, hey, you're a pastor, right? You're a pastor, right? I have questions. When life loses control and there's pain, and, and their kind of ability to build their own life, their good life apart from God begins to crumble, or this cracks in it. And you've loved them, you've walked with them, you've been honest about your faith with them, you've invited them to be around other people, you've brought them to the Super Bowl party, and the barbecue and dinner man when 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 they're feeling that lack of hope and they see you in their life god works to bring questions and that's when the gospel meets them with beautiful good news. May we be people that are bold to share it. What I want to do is actually have a a group of people come up uh, from our Alpha team. We're launching a new thing, so I'm going to have Becca Griffiths come up with uh, a team of people that are going to share a little bit about a resource that's available as we help people explore the claims of Christianity. Can you welcome this team up on the stage?
3: Hi, um, like Gary said, my name is Becca Griffiths, and this is our Alpha Core team, minus one. Um, Laurel will also be on our team, but she is far off in another country. Um, And so you might have seen some of our faces at your GCs. We've tried to meet with as many GCs as possible to share about this. Um, But if this is your first time hearing, we're going to tell you a little bit more about what Alpha is and how you can get involved.
0: My name
4: is Max Griffiths. I'm Blaine Nichols. I'm Alex Ditto. I'm Ben Cahill. I'm Dylan Jarrell. I'm going to speak first, and then hand it down this way to talk about logistics and then ways to get involved. But real quick, Alpha—you uh, could think about Alpha as like an evangelism explosion. Uh, that's good. Where good? I didn't, you made that joke in the first in the first service. I was hoping you did again. Uh, so, what is Alpha? Alpha is uh, actually an international organization that started in the. Not 1970s. I was just told sometime in the 1900s, but I think the 90s. Um, and and it's it's a place for people who are spiritually curious, who are interested in Christianity or faith or God or spirituality, to come and have an open dialogue. It's not apologetics. It's not us telling them about the historicity of the Bible. It's it's a place to come and talk about where you've been and what you're thinking, um, and then we can we can all talk about it together. Um, so, uh, most of you here probably would call yourselves Christians, I know not all of you, and so for those of you that wouldn't, Becca has an invite for you at the end of this, but for those of you that would call yourself Christians, this is, this is the easiest evangelism you can possibly do because it's an invite to people that are already in your life, to your friends, to your family, to come and have an open dialogue. It's not even inviting them to church, you don't even have to go. Um, so, Alpha is coming to Park Church. Uh, and Ditto's going to talk to you some more about the logistics. So, to give you guys an idea of what
0: an Alpha Night is actually going to look like, whether you're considering coming yourself or what this would look like for you to invite a friend to. So, Alpha is really structured around a meal, and that's you know designed to develop. Intimacy and break down walls and kind of open people up to talking about their worldview and how they've experienced Jesus before and what Jesus might be like in their life later. So we meet around a meal. And then we move into talking about some video content that Alpha puts on that covers various topics, uh, basic things that, you know, there are questions that people in this room, questions as I've had, questions that your friends, neighbors, coworkers, people who don't know Jesus probably have had. Things like, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? Um, how do I engage with the Bible? Why, how do I pray? What is the church? How do I be involved? Um, is there anything more to life than this? So we'll watch a video that covers topics Like that. And then we meet and discuss. And like Dylan was saying, we're not having a Bible study. We're not having an apologetics course, but we're just discussing, talking about people's worldview, their experience, their hurts, their joys, and then focusing around the content of the gospel that's presented in this video. So, kind of what the night will look like is our hosts who are up on this stage uh, plus one, and then the participants that are coming to Alpha are going to meet, have this meal, watch some video content, and then. Uh, discuss it. And we're going to be meeting uh, in a home in the Park Hill neighborhood every Thursday night uh, for 11 weeks with a couple weeks off. We're starting, uh, I believe, in two weeks on the 16th is going to be our first Thursday night. From about 6.30 to 8.30 is when we'll be meeting consistently. And um, on this card that was handed out that you guys should have there's the QR code and on this there's a lot more details or everything I'm, that I just articulated will be on here for you guys to hand to somebody to send to somebody um, all those topics all those dates all those times the address uh, as well as where they can sign up so we're hoping that people who are interested in coming to alpha and experiencing this and talking about their faith um, and learning about Christianity that they would RSVP so that we have numbers and as well as like if you guys are planning to come with uh, this person that you're inviting which is totally welcome Uh, We want people to end up feeling comfortable coming on their own, but we welcome you guys to come with your neighbor, with your family member. So if both those people would RSVP via this link, it would make things really easy logistically uh, and help out a lot. So thank you guys.
3: All right. So the last piece is how you all can get involved. Um, so like we shared, inviting your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers um, is a great way to get involved. Um, and this is such a low barrier to entry and it's free food. So who doesn't love that? Um, so I'll get back to that at the end as well, but we are asking for a few things from the congregation. One is that, um, your GC, if you are a part of a GC, would volunteer to bring a meal for one of the nights of Alpha. This is a really big part of Alpha is that we are providing a meal, like we shared about, and it's important that the congregation comes around us in this way to help facilitate it. It's a low barrier commitment um, to being able to help with Alpha. It's bringing a meal for one of those weeks. So if that's something that your GC is interested in, or just like a few individuals, a group of friends here, um, you can use that link to sign up. The second is is we are asking people to join our prayer team. How we're doing prayer for Alpha is that you would sign up for a date, a day of the week, and then you'd pray that day every, um, for those 11 weeks. So say you sign up for a Monday, you would just commit that this might be... 10 minutes of your day, it could be an hour, whatever your prayer routine looks like. But on Monday for 11 weeks, you'd be praying for Alpha um, and involved in that way. And then the last thing that I want to mention is inviting people. So like I said, um, if you're somebody here and there's somebody that you're thinking of. You can come with them if you want, or you can send them on your own, but we'd love for you to come. I won't harp too much on that since they already did, but um, I want to focus in on people here that would call themselves new believers or not believers at all. Um, this is a personal invite from me to you to come to Alpha. This is a great place for you to air any questions, concerns, fears, anger, um, really just general things that you are processing through. We are not naive to think that everyone in this room would be a follower of Jesus, and we're so happy that you're here. So this is a great in-between before going to a GC. This could be a great introduction to what does it mean to follow Jesus, um, and you're welcome to come with all questions that you have. Um, So if you all have any additional questions after the service, we're going to be up here. Um, We'd be happy to talk more about it with you, but um, I'll invite Gary back up. Thank them
2: together. Thank you. Thanks, Becca. Um, we're excited to offer this just as a resource. Uh, there are a lot of people that hanging out with other people that are asking questions and exploring things in a non-judgmental environment uh, would be a really significant context. There are people that are curious. They they like you. You're their coworker. You're their neighbor. You're their son or their daughter or their brother or their sister or their cousin, their classmate, and they're like, man. It's interesting, but I have a lot of questions. To say, hey, I know you've had some questions. Here's a community that's given some space where people can kind of walk through that and ask those questions together. Would you be interested in going with me? Or, or, you, don't, or you could go on your own. Uh, is a great space to invite people into. So uh, that's available. Now I want to remind us as a church family, we're going to close in prayer. And I want to remind us that what we're talking about here is not proving anything to God. It's not like checking off a checklist to make ourselves feel like, wow, what a great Christian. God loves you. He he really loves you. Even when we were running hardcore away from him and rejected him, explicitly, outright, blatantly, or subtly through religious practices and our self-righteousness, whatever it might be, he he loves you. And he's pursued us in Christ and because of his love, not to earn his love, not to work for his love, but because of his love, and because of the love he has for your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers, your friends, your family members, because of his love for them, he's called us to be people that are ambassadors, that are ministers of his reconciling love to others. Our prayers that God would equip us and compel us and empower us to be those who share the good news of Christ with others. Let's pray. Jesus, we come now and we ask for your grace. Where we need to turn from our own fears, where we need to turn from our own insecurities, would you help us? Would you protect us from condemnation or shame? Would your grace train us to turn to you and to follow you with faithfulness? Would your love compel us? Would your power, the power of the resurrection that we've experienced in our own lives as you've given us faith in life with the power of the resurrection give us confidence that you have power to redeem and restore our friends, our neighbors, coworkers, colleagues, classmates, family members? And would you grow in us confidence, boldness, courage to, to be witnesses of Jesus to be ambassadors for Christ, to be ministers of reconciliation in the world and in the context where you've called us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.